Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. And in case you didn't know, I can go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and be sure to stick around your radios because we got a lot to talk about this show. Uh, as you know, the show we talk about issues that are important to the black community as well as non-black communities. Um, we do our best to try to find a way to be better brothers and sisters to each other um, in this country. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, that means that we have to deal with some more challenging subjects. And today we are going to deal with a couple of those. One in particular has to do with a man named Patrick Leoya. Uh, we didn't cover his story last week because we wanted to give it a little bit of time um, for reasons we'll get into. Uh, but we will be discussing uh, his execution style death in the state of Detroit and um, discussing where we go from here. A little later in the show, we're also going to talk about the criminal justice system um, and how it tends to mistreat uh, black people and brown people in this country. And we have one such example, um, a man by the name of Daryl Howard. Uh, we're going to examine his situation a bit and just kind of give you some insight into what we know to be true, but you may not. Uh, we're going to spend a little time talking about the first African-American umpire in Major League Baseball, a man by the name of Emmett Ashford for our Way Black History Fact. Um, and we're also going to discuss a movie that I was able to watch recently that I would love for you to watch. Um, we'll tell you a little bit more about it in our BABA segment. That is B-A-B-A, -B -A, Become a Better Ally. So be sure to stick around for that as well, because it is definitely an insightful movie. It's called Who We Are. Um, so a lot to stick around for today. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned. Um, but first and foremost, like we always do at this time, Q, with your permission, can we jump into some ebony excellence? Shall we? We shall. All right. So um, this is a weird one, but it was a story that I loved. Okay. Um, it's not weird. It's just unusual for our ebony excellence. Um, but I, I think it fits. I love this story. So um, this comes from Fijisun.com um, and a few other sources, Washington Post and so forth and so on. This is just the article I like the most. Um, Merrill Pittman Cooper, age 101, had a distinguished career as one of the first black trolley car drivers in Philadelphia and a powerful leader in the union. But when he was a teenager during segregation in the 1930s, his single mother was too poor to pay school tuition. In 1938, he just finished his junior year of high school at Stora College, uh, a boarding school founded after the Civil War that initially educated formerly enslaved children. Mr. Cooper said he realized his mother, who worked as a live-in housekeeper, couldn't afford to make the final tuition payment for a senior year. He took a job at the women's apparel store in Philadelphia to help pay bills. And then he was hired in 1945 as a city trolley car operator. Um, and it was, he says it was tough when he first started. Uh, he remembers the racism he endured. He says, quote, I wouldn't want to repeat some of the things people said to me when they saw me operating the trolley, right? Um, he goes on to say, we had to have the National Guard on board to keep the peace, but he was proud of his career. Uh, however, there was always one thing that bothered him. He wished he had graduated from high school and received his diploma. Well. 84 years later, he has been finally able to realize his long-held wish. His family arranged a surprise graduation ceremony in his honor on March 19th at a hotel in Jersey City. Mr. Cooper's son-in-law, Rod Beckernick, is a retired social studies teacher 
who heard uh, Mr. Cooper talk about the difficulty of getting an education as a black teen in the 1930s. He decided it was long past time that his father-in-law received the diploma he'd missed when he dropped out just before his senior year. So just wanted to shout that story out as a heartwarming story. And we love those two every so often. I, I do believe that is an example of ebony excellence, even at 101 years old. Now, on to heavier things. Um, and, and if you're listening, we, we really did put this off. Um, so I'll ask Q, have you been able to digest properly this Patrick Leoya story? I don't, I don't know that there's a such thing. That's a fair like I've, I've, I'm past the point of being able to reconcile things like this. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no point where after either the video or the story where enough time passes where I'm like, okay, now I'm okay. Like there's, there's like, there's no moving on anymore. Understood. The, the frequency, the gravity, the um, impunity of it all it's impossible to let the grievance it's not a grievance period it's almost constant now you know what i mean like it's not like we heal and we move on like no you'll still be hurting and processing the last one Mm -hmm. and then as you know in our text thread in our inbox there's a story of five more ten more a dozen more we can't fit them all in our shows that's that's sad yeah we don't have enough space to talk about the number of these types of stories that we have to try to digest. But I have indigestion with regards to it now. I don't, I don't get to a point where it ever settles. Well said, man. That was uh, visual. And as someone who has to process these things with you, very much accurate. Um, I do want to offer this, though. We've stated this on the show before. Um, we decided early on, Q and I, we decided when we were making this show in its early days that we did not want to become desensitized to black trauma, to black death, to harm uh, being done to black bodies. And so we instituted a rotation for stories where I'll read a story and I'll watch a video. These videos, oftentimes they end in death of black people. And it's very, very heavy. Um, I'm not going to speak for all black people. I'm just going to speak for Ramses. I am a human being with a beating heart and I have feelings. So if you can relate to any of those, um, then you might have some insight into how this feels, right? So for me to see anyone be harmed, um, it's like, I don't celebrate that. I'm not the sort of person that goes hunting and ends the lives of animals because you know for no reason you know i get that some people got to eat that way or whatever but it's just not my thing um but it's a little bit heavier when it the person is black because then it feels a little bit more personal it feels a little closer to our doorstep and so we instituted this rotation so that we could deal with these stories without overwhelming ourselves and without you know there's been this big push in recent years to protect your mental health, you know? And so this was one of the steps that we um, tried to implement in, in producing this show for you guys every week. Um, so this one, I know for a fact, I put it off to the very last minute 
I knew it was there. I just didn't want to watch the video. I just didn't, I just didn't want to see it. I, I heard that um, Patrick was shot in the back of his head. And that felt different. Um, and here we are. And now I have to talk about it. And so I, I respect and understand whatever, <laughs> whatever, uh, however deeply you have dived into this because I recognize the gravity of it. But this one was my turn, of course, as you know, Q. And um, so here we are. Now, I do want to mention that um, some of my readings today come from the Detroit Free Press. Um, that the, the Detroit Free Press is a Black-owned newspaper. Um, like the Atlanta Black Star, like the Grio, some of our sources, we, we just pull from Black sources because this is the place for that. And a lot of times they'll tell the story in the way that we really need to, to hear it and to share it with, with the listener, you. Um, so I'll, I'll begin. A Black man face down on the ground was fatally shot in the back of the head by a Grand Rapids police officer, the violent climax of a traffic stop, brief foot chase and struggle over a stun gun according to videos of the April 4th incident released Wednesday. The release by Grand Rapids police sparked renewed protests and calls for justice Wednesday as state and state officials promised a full investigation. It comes in the wake of other police-involved shootings in Grand Rapids. The video released Wednesday includes footage from the unnamed officer's body camera, which was deactivated shortly after the officer told the suspect, 26-year-old Congolese refugee Patrick Leoya, to, quote, let go of the taser. End quote. The video, a collection of dash cam footage, body cam footage, and a home security camera and a cell phone video shows the unnamed officer pulling over Leoya and a passenger for a, quote, license plate that doesn't match the car, end quote. Leoya gets out of the car and the officer gets out and tells him to get back in the car. The officer asks for his driver's license and then asks whether Leoya speaks English. Leoya then appears to run around the car. And the officer chases and tackles him to the ground on the front lawn of a house. They struggle, and the officer can be heard yelling uh, to Leoya, stop and let go of the taser. After about 90 seconds, the officer is lying on top of Leoya, who's face down on the ground. The officer, still yelling for Leoya to let go of the taser, proceeds to shoot him. Leoya was shot in the head. Police Chief Eric Winstrom confirmed. Winstrom said the taser was deployed twice but did not make contact. Now, I recognize that uh, if you're hearing our voices today, and we, we do appreciate every listener, everybody that has a little bit of a moral compass in their heart, and they want to do right, and they're taking the time out, as you're doing right now, to listen to our voices and try to become a better person for your brothers and sisters you know, that you share this country with. Um, this is... Uh, This is a, this one feels different to me. Um, and I know that the police will always have an excuse, right? And I've said this many times on the show. Um, but, you know, for those of you who maybe you're on the fence, maybe you're in the gray area, or maybe you have to have really important conversations with people who 
feel like the police are justified. You know, there are people who do their best to try to find the justification in the police's actions. They know there's no objection. There's no objectivity, if you will. Right. They are trying to find out who did what wrong to justify what the police did. Right. Well, he shouldn't have did this. He shouldn't have ran. He shouldn't have, you know, whatever. So as I do, I'll break this down. How I see these things happening. Okay. Um, now this is a refugee. So let's say he's not aware the extent of police violence in this country. Let's say he didn't grow up in a place like Detroit, you know, or a place like Compton, where I'm from. You know, Q is from Detroit. Shout out to the motor. Um, so he hasn't been taught from a young age to fear the police. You know, many of you listening might think, well, no, the police are the good guys. You know, why would anybody fear the police? You know, there are parts of the country where the police don't really behave like across the board in a way that makes you feel like they're there to protect you. Um, at least that was a lot of my interactions with the police in my nearly 40 years of living. Um, in that time, I've learned that police, I've seen police rob people. I've seen police beat people up, not even take them to jail, just beat them up and leave them there. I saw that happen. These eyes saw it happen. Um, I've learned, obviously, doing this type of show and just kind of being a conscious Black man with Black children raised, Black sons specifically, that um, it is possible and legal for police to lie to you when they interrogate you. So the police can say to you, um, hey, you know what? We have your DNA at the scene. So if you confess to the crime that you may or may not have committed, um, but let's say in this example, you didn't commit it. But if you, if you confess, I can make it easier on you. It's legal for them to lie to you and say things like that. Oh, we can, you know, do whatever um, and make it, make it easier on you. But then what happens is you confess to a crime that you didn't commit. And um, it's all because the police officers did that. So rather than committing, being committed to finding the truth, this is a legal thing that happens all too often. You know, if you don't believe my words here, please uh, look up and follow the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, a man named Brian Stevenson. He's a person that I look up to very much. Uh, and he's a person that fights to overturn wrongful convictions using DNA evidence or you know whatever mean legal means that he can um and obviously his success rate is very high um, which is how he's known for doing this and overwhelmingly uh the people that are uh beneficiaries of his services um, and those of the equal justice initiative are black or brown and overwhelmingly poor um and so what we're looking at is a problem with policing with confessions and so forth um, but more times than I've seen the police be the good guys, I've seen them be the bad guys in my actual lived life. I'm not talking about on TV. I'm not talking about in videos, you know, because I, I do respect the fact that lots of police do lots of good work. I have to say that as, as many people as might uh, get mad at me for saying it, there are lots of police officers who do lots of good work. I'll see that entirely. Um, but I don't understand and I don't know that I ever will, how the police get to be the heroes 
and they always fear for their life. Right? Are you that brave? Or are you not that brave? You know, are you afraid? Um, I remember reading a story. And uh, this, was some, this was some time ago, so my details are a little hazy, but um, it was a person was shot and killed by an officer. And uh, the officer had um, shot the person's hands, right? Or, or hand or something like this, I don't remember it. And when uh, the officer had to like explain what had happened, or actually I'm not even sure that the person died, but either way, the officer shot someone, okay? And it shot the person's hand through the hand. The officer was able to suggest that, well, I shot through the hand because the person was trying to grab for my gun, right? And if that's the end of the story, that makes perfect sense. You're trying to grab the officer's gun. The officer needs to take action, discharge the weapon, boom, problem solved, right? Protect the officer's life at all costs, right? This is kind of the way that works. That's kind of one of the protections you're afforded if you sign up to become a police officer, that your life matters more than everyone else's. Um, But... The person who was shot, it was either that person or their family. I don't remember the details exactly, but that person or their family was saying like, um, your instinct is to try to keep the weapon from being pointed directly at you because you know that once that weapon is raised, raised rather, um, that it spells the end of your life. You know what I mean? I'm going to get shot. So you will reach out your hands and try to keep the, the weapon from going all the way up. And you'll try to block it. This is kind of an instinctive thing, right? And so they were trying to say, no, this person wasn't trying to grab the gun, take it away from the officer, turn it around, grip the gun, and then discharge the weapon in the officer's direction. This person was simply trying to save his own life which anything with a nervous system does and in theory should be allowed to do, right? So this taser, you know, I don't know all the details yet. I did wait to try to wait for more things to come out, but this one might take a while. A lot of these do, but that taser, when they say like, uh, you know, the officer said he was grabbing for his taser. The way that story hits the public is like, well, this Congolese refugee who was running away from the officer decided that he was going to get the taser, tase the officer, and therefore the officer was in danger. So the officer had every right to shoot the man in the back of the head, right? I want to add to that. Tasers are supposed to be non-lethal. So if someone does get your taser, officer, you know, we don't know the officer's name here, but if someone does get your taser, again, a non-lethal weapon, this is why you have it as an alternative to your gun, someone does get your taser, the understanding there is that that device is not going to end a life, right? Um, So fearing for your life doesn't really make sense to me. You know, based on 
you know, those details, right? Um, furthermore, if this man has the taser, the taser went off twice, no one was electrocuted, and you're wrestling with this person, he's face down, you're on top of his body, and you're, I guess, tired of wrestling with him because it's been a while. Shooting someone in the back of the head, that sounds very gruesome. And, you know, the video, it's, it's very sad because you see these two forms moving back and forth, struggling. Looks like a life and death struggle. I'd imagine that for Patrick Leoya, he probably thought that it was, which is probably why he ran. Um, no, all of a sudden, the gun goes off and then he stops moving. And the life is extinguished. And around here, we think life is precious. Um, we feel like we have to say specifically that black life is precious because there are lots of things in the world that teach us that black life is not precious. You know, a lot of what we talk about on this show is ways that the, this country at least shows us that black life is not precious. And so we use this forum to affirm that for ourselves and for our tribe. And we use this forum to bolster our relationships with the other tribes, if you will, with our less melanated brothers and sisters. We recognize that we were the first men. We recognize that as a result, all men are our children. And as a result of that, we recognize that we love them even when they're wrong. So if you're listening to this show and you might not be black, we love you. And, and there's forgiveness built into the narrative, at least on Civic Cipher, because, you know, it's okay to be wrong, provided that you're moving in the right direction. Um, I've talked at length about why people run. You know, people run because they're scared. So even if this guy didn't grow up in the United States, just ran because a police officer was maybe asking questions he didn't understand, he didn't know what was up, didn't know what to expect, you know. You pick any animal in nature, pick any animal in nature, scare it. And if it doesn't fight you, it'll run, right? And that it should never be a death sentence because we're dealing with human beings. We can figure stuff out later and nothing is ever that important. Now, I got about a minute and I do want to get your thoughts, Q. So jump in right here and let me know how this feels to you. Have you ever seen a gun pointed at an animal? I believe I have, yeah. So there's no, you can't tell a dog or a lion or whatever, hey, this is a gun. Yeah, they don't get it. But if you point one at an animal, they understand to be afraid. Huh. They understand that something's up. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this happen, my neighbor had a pit bull. And he didn't he didn't go to the lengths that he needed to to make sure that the, that the dog didn't get out in a place where it could harm people. So very often his very vicious pit bull, because it's not just the fact that it was a pit bull, 
this dog was trained to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. It would get out and people would have to call the cops to keep their kids from being killed by this dog. Mm-hmm. No, this man loved this dog very much. So it did not behave to him the way that it would to a potential intruder or any stranger that didn't live at his house. I remember when I was a kid, the cops came and they drew their guns and this very aggressive, very vicious dog became very docile and very passive and very scared because even as a dog, it understood that thing that that man has that it's pointing at me could kill me. So imagine a person that absolutely knows better. Of course, it's not even fight or flight at that point. In most cases, it's just flight. Well, you know what? I think that that's what we saw when we saw that video. And I get the feeling we might end up talking about this one a little bit more, but we did have to broach the subject. Um, Forgive us for taking an extra week, but hopefully now you understand why.